Prime Minister's Chief of Staff has agreed to appear in Parliamentary Committee to testify on allegations of foreign interference. Former Governor General David Johnston's decision on whether or not to launch a public inquiry to investigate Beijing's alleged election interference will be made public in May. The Alberta government will present arguments to Canada's top court on Wednesday on what they describe as the No More Pipelines bill from the federal government. And finally, a new study reveals the most affordable places for first-time homebuyers. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, March 22nd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Rachel Emanuel. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. After immense pressure from the Conservative opposition, Katie Telford, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, has agreed to appear in Parliamentary Committee to testify on recent allegations of China's interference in Canadian elections. The Prime Minister's office wrote in a statement, quote, while there are serious constraints on what can be said in public about sensitive intelligence matters, Ms. Telford has agreed to appear at the Procedure and House Affairs Committee as part of their study. Now, prior to Telford agreeing to testify on her own accord, a conservative motion, which called on Telford to testify, almost became a confidence matter. However, the prime minister shut down the possibility Tuesday morning. The conservative motion was ultimately defeated on Tuesday afternoon. Now, Telford is set to appear for two hours at the Procedure and House Affairs Committee between April 3rd and April 14th. Rachel, what's actually going on here? Seems like political stunts seems like dragging things on a little bit okay this is all covered guys april 3rd and then an 11-day break april 14th so it's kind of like all right delay tactics maybe people don't care about this as much then maybe there's some other scandal we can uh, get people focused on then that that is an opposition scandal or some foreign affairs issue hopefully it'll just die down by then certainly seems like they're dragging things on the 11-day break is pretty unwarranted and that's not usually how things go usually you try to have people come back to back and have these things handled as quickly as possible but obviously we know that the prime minister didn't really have any choice in this matter the ndp were finally putting a bit of pressure on him and saying they wanted katie telford to appear and we know that through the supply agreement, the NDP are propping up the Liberal government right now. So if they didn't have the support of the NDP, it could be bad for them. They could have even lost that confidence motion that they were threatening to pull. So the Liberal government really had no choice. They had to have Katie Telford appear. But certainly now they're going to make it as difficult as possible. They're going to drag it out as long as possible. They're going to wait as long as possible to have her appear. So I expect the process not to go smoothly. And to be honest with you, we've seen how these parliamentary committee meetings go. There's so often that witnesses come and they refuse to answer the question. They diddle-dally around, and they're not very useful a lot of the time. We don't seem to get a lot of answers at these parliamentary committee hearings. We'll see if that's different this time around, but my hopes certainly are not high. Yeah, Rachel, do you think the general public is going to lose interest? I mean, we're getting into really sort of uh, nuts and bolts here in terms of will this staffer testify on this day or not, this committee, that committee? Are people going, well, there's a special rapporteur. I mean, it's fine. Why do we have to do all this other stuff? I think people will lose interest because I don't think there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming out of the parliamentary committee hearing. And like with so many liberal government scandals, a lot of times they're very complicated and they require quite a bit of nuance that people who follow politics very closely are interested in. But for the everyday person, it's just a bit overwhelming. There's so much to know. There's so much to follow. You know, I suspect people are certainly concerned about Beijing interference, but I don't know if this committee hearing is going to prolong that interest. I suspect it will have the opposite effect, especially once people see clips of this committee hearing, and there's not really a lot of information being given during it. The Prime Minister's office released the mandate for the Special Rapporteur looking into Chinese interference allegations. 
The PMO's directive outlines that former Governor David Johnston is responsible for making a determination on whether the Canadian government should launch a public inquiry into foreign interference, which is something the Conservatives have been calling for since the media stories on the issue were first published. The decision is expected to be announced by May 23, 2023. Further to that, a full review of the allegations is expected to be completed by October 31st, 2023. The PMO writes, quote, Johnson will identify innovative approaches and improvements in the way public agencies work together to combat foreign interference in our electoral process. To fulfill this mandate, he will be given complete access to any relevant records and documents, classified or unclassified. Anthony, we were just talking with the previous story about how there's a possibility that the public will lose interest because it's being dragged out over so much time. And of course, I mentioned how these House of Commons committee proceedings don't tend to be that advantageous for people listening to them, hoping to glean some information. Wondering if we're running into sort of the same problem here. We're going to be waiting about two months for this answer from the Governor General here to hear if there's going to be, you know, a public inquiry into foreign election interference. Do you think that's too long? Do you think he could come up with an answer a bit sooner? And if he decides that we should proceed with a public inquiry two months from now, do you think people are still going to be paying attention? I mean, we're going to be headed into summer. Usually in the summer, Canadians like to take a bit of a break from politics. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I mean, Rachel, we already have the documents. CSIS prepared them, and apparently CSIS was attempting to brief other individuals who were senior in the political spectrum, and they did not uh, heed these warnings. So, you know, what do you want? The information's there, and in some sense, people were fully briefed ages ago. So why does Johnson need so many months to actually undertake all of this? I think it really is just about dragging things out. And I also think the general public for a second will go, oh, okay, PMO directives say what he's got to do. Wait, 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 wait a second. PMO directives? But arguably, what's being implicated here is did people in the PMO, such as Katie Telford, uh, get the right information at the right time? How did she respond to it? What did she or did she not know? What did Justin Trudeau know? So why is it the PMO gets to call the shots here? Why do they get to determine the outlines? One would have assumed if David Johnston is such an eminent Canadian, as Trudeau described him as, and I'm not uh, disputing that issue, or that he's such a special rapporteur as the term is, well, then I think he also has the ability for himself to determine what the outlines are. Here you go. There's a scandal. Mr. Johnston, uh, you figure out the scope of what you're doing. Why are they determining the scope? And do you think that it should totally be left up to Johnston as to whether or not we have this public inquiry? Or do you think there's a need just to go ahead with one already? It seems like there is a lot of interest in the issue right now. It seems like Canadians are concerned. Do we really need to have someone else tell us whether or not that's needed? Or given the sort of public unrest about the issue, would it be better just to go ahead with that and provide more information to the public right now? Let's take Pierre Polyev completely out of the equation. Let's take partisan politics out of the equation. Let's look at senior academics on this file. Let's look at former CSIS employees who are able to speak publicly because they're no longer with CSIS. Let's look at uh, former top diplomats or former uh, diplomat to uh, China, our former ambassador, David Mulroney. Uh, let's look at so many other nonpartisan voices speaking out on this issue, and they all say there needs to be a public inquiry and there's a mechanism for that to happen immediately. So I feel like the question kind of answers itself. The Alberta government is set to argue against the Trudeau government's No More Pipelines bill, as they call it, as Alberta will present its arguments to Canada's top court on Wednesday. The Supreme Court of Canada began hearings on Tuesday as the federal government asked it to overrule an Alberta Court of Appeal opinion that declared their 2019 Impact Assessment Act to be unconstitutional. Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro says the legislation is a threat to the long-term economic prosperity of Alberta's province, energy industry, and the entire country. Shandrew said, quote, 
We want to grow investment in Alberta, not have it driven away by unbalanced, unpredictable new rules for major projects. The Attorney General of Canada, though, justifies the act in its written legal arguments, arguing that the act was adopted to establish a federal environmental assessment process to safeguard against adverse environmental effects in relation to matters within federal jurisdiction. Now, under the Constitution, provinces have exclusive jurisdiction over laws relating to resource development. But neither the provinces nor the federal government has total control over environmental regulation. Rachel, you are True North's Alberta correspondent. How big of a story is this right now uh, for Alberta? How big of a priority is this for the Alberta government uh, compared to the other files they're managing right now? This is a huge priority for the Alberta government. We know it's been put on the back burner for a little bit since last year when the Alberta Court of Appeal ruled that the federal government act was indeed unconstitutional. However, it was really no surprise to anybody at the time that an Alberta court would rule in favor with the province of Alberta. And of course, the federal government has now taken this to the Supreme Court. So given how some of the previous Supreme Court rulings have gone, I'm thinking specifically about Alberta along with some other provinces, Saskatchewan, Ontario, arguing against the carbon tax that did not go in their favor at the Supreme Court. I'm interested to see how this is going to play out today. I know the Alberta government are hoping for a win, but I don't think the odds are stacked in their favor. Now, there's a little thing called the Sovereignty Act that's been talked about a lot. I feel like this could be applicable here. Tell me about how this does or doesn't fit in. I know once you get up to the Supreme Court, it's kind of like all gloves are off. The Sovereignty Act has been really interesting in Alberta. Of course, it was Danielle Smith's first campaign promise and her biggest campaign promise when she ran for the United Conservative Party leadership. She got that passed immediately upon becoming premier, and it was exceptionally controversial, but she's kind of waded back from talking about it or using it too much. I see her asked a lot at press conferences. I see her ministers asked a lot at press conferences if they will use the Sovereignty Act, and they're pretty loath to give any answers about it. They kind of decline talking about it, which kind of makes you wonder if it was just sort of a stunt that was passed to say we got this done. But absolutely, this could be used in this instance. Basically, what it would do is it would allow the province not to enforce any federal laws or legislation. Now, when it comes to building a massive project like a pipeline, you know, usually Alberta would have to be coordinating with another province to do that. So I think it'd be pretty hard for them to build a big project that's involving another province while ignoring federal government directives and, in fact, legislation. But there is room for them to use it there. I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. I just have found it interesting how it's been passed, and now the Alberta government doesn't really seem to want to talk about it too much. A new study reveals that St. John's is the most affordable place to be a first-time homebuyer, followed by Regina, Saskatoon, Quebec City, and Edmonton. Research by real estate experts Edmonton Homes compared and ranked the 25 most populated cities in Canada across three metrics average annual income compared to house prices, property tax, and electricity bills to reveal the most affordable city for first-time homeowners. Edmonton Homes graded cities on a 50-point scale, with 50 being the most affordable rate. St. John's ranks first on the list with an affordability score of 58.8 points out of 70. The city's homeowner's median salary of $104,000 forms 37% of the average house prices in the city. Homeowners pay about $3,650 in property taxes for a half a million dollar house. Anthony, this is kind of an interesting study here. Certainly since moving to Alberta, I've noticed that the price points are quite a bit lower from when I lived in Ontario. You know, I think Canadians are actually really interested in this kind of thing nowadays. I think when you grow up, maybe your generation, people just kind of picked where they wanted to live and maybe a lot of people wanted to stay closer to home. But I feel like young people nowadays actually look and they say, okay, where can I have a good quality of life? Where can I actually afford to live? 
No, certainly. I mean, this is the conversation that people are having all across the country in many respects in terms of the rising price of housing, both in terms of buying a home, in terms of rent. Uh, there are sort of micro issues in individual cities in terms of uh, the way policy ramps up the costs. There's macro issues going on with the economy, with interest rates. And then there's federal policy in terms of how the immigration policies affect things. In the GTA, there's a lot of talk of how uh, we have a sizable number of, of economic class immigrants. So people who are coming, who are who are prosperous, who have good education, who have money in the bank, and a, a disproportionately high number of them uh, come to the GTA because they would like to live in this area. And, and they're participating in, in that sort of supply and demand flux in terms of housing as well. So there's a lot going on. And this is the hot talker for our daily lives. The one thing that this study doesn't mention that I suspect is impacting a fair amount of young people right now is interest rates. Even though you can move to some of these cities like Edmonton, for example, not too far from where I live right now and buy a home, you're looking at at least an 8% interest rate right now. So you're paying what another 37 to 50,000 towards your home every year on top of all the maintenance costs that you already have with owning a home. So for a lot of people that I know, they're actually saying, eh, I don't know if it's really worth it to buy a home right now. I'm going to give it a couple of years. Wait for those interest rates to drop. House prices are also dropping right now. Let's see if those come down a bit. Let's rent meanwhile. And hopefully things even out in a couple of years and we don't get absolutely destroyed by these high interest rates. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.